Good. So um, I am Stephanie, and I'm new to this whole teaching thing, but it's November, and we are here, and we're studying Thanksgiving psalms, so happy fall, y'all. Um, this is my favorite season. I love the colors. I love the football. Like, it's not too cold yet, but it's cool enough that most of the bugs have gone away. Because who has not wondered in the thick of a Memphis summer, why in the world did God create mosquitoes? I mean, just why? And pumpkins definitely make me feel more thankful than, say, ticks or chiggers. But I'm not sure that that's completely right. After all, I bet many of you are familiar with the flea story. Y'all know the flea story? Um, just in brief, it comes from the book The Hiding Place, which chronicles the life of Corey Ten Boom. She and her sister Betsy were Dutch Christians who were sent to a concentration camp for hiding Jews in their home during the Holocaust. Um, they had smuggled a Bible in with them, and they found solace in God's word there in that awful place. And they were even able to share that hope with the other women who were suffering alongside them. Corey writes that Betsy led them in reading that contraband Bible every night. Um, but Corey drew the line when Betsy insisted on thanking God for the fleas that, that infested their straw beds and plagued what little sleep they got after brutal work days. How could they? Why should they thank God for something as obviously terrible as fleas? It wasn't until some time later that they realized the guards refused to come into their bunk because they did not want to make contact with the pests. This buffer of protection allowed the nightly Bible studies to continue uninterrupted, bringing truth and hope in ways the sisters could have only prayed for. Betsy understood, we must thank God for the fleas. This is not natural. But this kind of thankfulness is commanded in Scripture and practiced in the Psalms. So how do we cultivate grateful hearts that can thank God for the fleas? I propose in part through discipline. Now, I don't mean spankings or timeouts um, or even the self-discipline that it takes not to eat all of the leftover Halloween candy at once. I mean discipline like those Olympic athletes who train their bodies and their minds through repetition for a task until it becomes natural for them to do unnatural things. I mean discipline like 1 Timothy 4.7 says, to train yourself for godliness. I hope today to explore a few questions that will help us to see what that might look like. We will ask when to give thanks and what happens when we don't. We will ask how we thank God 
when we don't feel thankful, and we'll find out what happens when we do discipline ourselves to give thanks. So first, when. When should we train ourselves for godliness by giving thanks? 1 Thessalonians 5.18 commands us to give thanks in all circumstances. This might remind you of Carol's lesson last week. All circumstances? Yes, all circumstances, even the fleas. We see this reflected in Psalm 107 in the descriptions of God's people in distress. We thank him, though we are wandering, hungry, and thirsty. We thank him, though our loved one is in the shadow of death. We thank him, though our child is, wa- is wayward and their foolish hearts appear darkened. We thank him, though our business is riding the mounting and crashing waves of a stormy economy. We thank him in all circumstances because we remember that he turns the desert into pools of water, parched land into springs. We remember the steadfast love of the Lord and give thanks. Even when that thanksgiving feels like a sacrifice. But we must push on through our training and thank God as a matter of obedience, as a matter of discipline, because there are consequences when we do not. Let's look at this question next. What happens when we refuse to thank God? Romans 1, beginning in verse 21, says, Although they knew God, They did not honor or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. They exchanged the glory of God for images, so he gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity and dishonorable passions. They did not see fit to acknowledge God, so he gave them up to a debased mind, evil, covetousness, malice, envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, gossip, slander, insolence, haughtiness, boastfulness, foolishness, faithfulness, heartlessness, and ruthlessness. Y'all, this is serious. This is really serious business. When we refuse to acknowledge God's goodness and provision for us in our prosperity or to thank him for his past, present, and future works for us in the midst of our calamity, we lose our anchor and we're set adrift into darkness. In other words, Psalm 40:12, evils encompass me, iniquities overtake me, my heart fails. Ever been there? I often find myself in this place at the end of what I call my shame spiral. I start by making it my mission to control the world by loading myself up with lots of very important things to do and wonder why nobody thanks me for all this. Then, of course, I fail it some way in running the world because, newsflash, I am not God. So then I crumble under the weight of disappointment in myself, and I find myself stuck 
in that emotional miry bog. My heart fails. So what is a girl to do when she finds herself in the pit of destruction with a thankless heart? This is our next question. The answer? She is to lace up her training shoes, turn, and trust. Psalm 107, 6, 13, 19, and 28 all say, They cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. They turned their focus from their suffering to the one who could save them. This has been a recurring standout theme for me throughout this whole study. Psalm 40, verse 4, reminds us not to turn to the proud, that's me, but to make the Lord our trust, because he is the one worthy of our trust, because he is always there. He's always the same, ready to greet his wandering, weary sheep with grace. After all, we saw in Hebrews 10 why the sin and burnt offering were no longer required because Jesus has become our sacrifice once and for all. Our guilt is taken away. He went all the way to the cross, to the grave, and back again for us. He will not restrain his mercy from us now. He will deliver His steadfast love and faithfulness will ever preserve me. Thank you, Lord. Can I get a witness? Yeah? We must thank the Lord when we have been delivered from calamity, whether spiritual or situational. I have a neighbor who gets deeply offended if she does not receive a timely thank you note for a standard gift that she takes to an event. How much greater the offense if we restrain our lips or hide his deliverance in our hearts instead of thanking God for his great salvation and extolling him in the congregation. We must remember who our good God is and the great things he has done and not neglect this exercise of turning trusting, and thanking. Lastly, what can we expect to happen when we do thank God? 2 Corinthians 4.15 says that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. God is glorified when we give thanks. This may sound simple, But since the Westminster Shorter Catechism teaches us that glorifying God is the chief end of man, I think that is enough. God is glorified. That is enough. But it's not all. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 exhorts us not to be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. 
our God satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. He shatters doors of bronze and cuts into bars of iron. The upright see it and are glad. So what are the outcomes of thankfulness? There is no disclaimer saying results may vary on this training program. (laughs) God is glorified. We are less anxious, more at peace, and more joyful. I see no downside. Are you ready to put on your Thanksgiving sweatbands and train yourself for godliness through the discipline of giving thanks? I'm going to leave you with two action steps when you are ready to get started. The first you may have heard before, but I want to challenge you to actually do it. Keep a journal of Thanksgiving. Even the secular world has figured out that there is something really powerful about writing down what we are grateful for. But I don't want you to stop at just generalized gratitude. Think of it more as writing God that well-deserved thank you note. It can be a fancy bound book if that motivates you, but when I have actually put this into practice, my journal has been as simple as notebook paper and a pen that sits by the chair where I drink my coffee every morning. If you don't know where to start, what to thank God for, I find Jesus to always be a safe beginning. Thank you, God, for sending Jesus. Thank you for making me your own. From there, maybe you list the most obvious needs that he has met. You have a roof over your head and food in the pantry. Maybe these are the five-pound weights or the walk around the block that get you warmed up. Then you can start pushing yourself to thank God for all the little things that we forget to notice and acknowledge as his grace, all of those wondrous works to the children of man. Our sense of smell when someone's fire pit wafts your way. Technology that lets us see the faces of loved ones far away. Music, the fact that it exists. God did not have to do that to make his creation function. But he did, and I am thankful that he did. The more we write these things down and dare ourselves to thank God for stranger, smaller, maybe even flea-sized things, the more we develop and strengthen grateful hearts and habitual thanksgiving. The second action step that I recommend, and this one is newer to me, is praying the scriptures. If you don't know where to start thanking, start with Jesus. If you don't know what words to say, go to the word. I love what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said in his book on the Psalms. We must learn to pray. The child learns to speak because his father speaks to him. He learns the speech of his father. So we learn to speak to God because he has spoken to us and speaks to us. By means of the speech of the Father in heaven, his children learn to speak with him. Repeating God's own words after him, we begin to pray to him. 
That is so cool for me to think about. I don't speak Spanish because my parents spoke English to me. I have a Southern accent because my mother is from Tipton County. Can you say mama? Mama. Well, what if I developed a gospel accent because God is speaking to me and I am repeating after him? This is what happens when we pray the Psalms. The words of God spoken specifically for us to speak back to him. So our training is in full swing. We know when to give thanks, all circumstances. We know the consequences of slacking off, they are dire. We know where to turn and whom to trust, even when we don't feel thankful. And we know the glorious results and how to get started. So let's practice. Bow with me as I pray Psalm 107, 1. O Lord, we give thanks to you, for you are good. Your steadfast love endures forever. Amen.